Picture this scene from roughly one year ago. It's February 9th, 2019. Super Bowl 53 has ended just a week prior. With many feeling that the matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and the New England Patriots was dull and a little bit slow. In essence, the NFL season ended with a thud, and you wanted more. Or at least you wanted to finish on a high note compared to what happened during this defensive slugfest. You're sitting on your couch, trying to decide what you want to watch. You're a sports-centric viewer first, of course, but few viewing experiences grab your attention at this time. Basketball's fun once in a while to watch, but there's just too many games. You'd rather just track the scores on your phone, much like myself. Same can be said if you're interested in the NHL. It's also too early in the year, of course, for baseball, and March Madness is still roughly a month away. In essence, you're lost. That is, until you're not. Uh, your channel searching has led you towards CBS, as, of course, you would be passing by this and many others on your cable or satellite provider. And in the broadcast slot, there's a title that makes you stop and read the description. Curious, and also in disbelief, you check the channel onto your screen. Plus, the program just started, so you probably didn't miss too much. And luckily, you're just in time. Defensive end Sean Washington, who appears to be playing for a team labeled from San Antonio, is coming off the right side offensive edge towards an unblocked quarterback, Mike Bercovici, who looks to be the starting quarterback for the San Diego squad that you're watching. The quarterback never saw him come. Bercovici never saw the man coming, and he is lit up. My goodness! Sean Washington with the stick! As if straight out of the yesteryears of the NFL and its disregard for concussion protocol, Washington delivers as viral of a jaw-rocking hit on Brickovici as you could imagine in the modern era of the sport. The discombobulated quarterback's helmet flies at least two feet in the air as Washington sends the QB airborne while dislodging the ball. Your eyes widen from the shock of watching a man look to be decapitated on your television. You tense in the anticipation of a streak of yellow to travel across the screen as players mad dash for the loose football discarded from Berkovici's grasp. This has to be a flag, you think. Your experience with watching NFL referees call roughing the passer for defenders simply tapping the head of a quarterback is still very much fresh in your mind. But it's as if nothing happened. Berkovici picks himself up from the turf of the Alamo Dome, pops his helmet back on, and goes back to the huddle for the next snap. This was the night that spring football was put back on the map. This was the Alliance of American Football. Welcome one and all to another edition of Football for All. I'm your host, Zach Tileman, and today we bring you the first episode in a series I'm titling Avenge the Fallen, where we bring to you one of many leagues that have tried to stand on their own and are gone, but not forgotten. And that's something I want to stress very heavily with this series, is a lot of these leagues 
have a place in the history of the sport that is American football. And today we start with the league that first off, it's the one year anniversary of its suspension of its league season. And secondly, it's one that I held dear and one that truly won me over to the concept of spring football. And I will gladly tout spring football as a possibility, all thanks to the Alliance of American football. It was a league that I felt had plenty, plenty of good football and decent talent to it. I felt that the product on the field was something that I could see watching every year. And unfortunately behind the scenes, it was a train wreck and it's one of the most infamous stories of how poor management, poor decision-making and poor timing can lead to the worst possible outcome. And it is something that I cannot believe would happen to such a promising product. But yet, here we are. Another one for the scrap pile, but one that's very memorable. And one that really did bring spring football back into the spotlight for those that are football fans. Without the Alliance of American Football, I don't know if we have as much of a great response to the XFL as we do. And we owe the Alliance, I think, a little bit for what the XFL has turned into. And on that note, let's get into the story of the decline and the tragedy of the AAF. To understand the full story of the AAF, we need to bring in Charlie Ebersol and Bill Pullian. These are two people that were the co-founders of the league and also had different varying roles in the league itself. For Charlie Ebersol, he was really the man of the hour and the face of the alliance. He was the guy that was in front of the camera, the guy that would take the interviews, the guy that would really hype the league up into what he thought it could be and had plenty of ideas and aspirations of his own. He's the son of Dick Ebersol, and Dick Ebersol was one of the co-founders of the original XFL in 2001 alongside Vince McMahon. Charlie also would do a documentary 30 for 30 episode for ESPN titled This Was the XFL, where Vince McMahon and his father, Dick Ebersol, would enjoy a reminiscence type of dinner and discussing the 2001 iteration of the XFL. This, in particular, 30 for 30, is very important not only to the Alliance's history, but also the history of what is now the 2020 iteration of the XFL. You see, Charlie Ebersol and Vince McMahon both got into thinking. One was very fascinated at the idea of the XFL when Charlie signed on to the project that, well, his father Dick was on anyway. The other got very reminiscent and seriously considered reviving the brand. From this point onward, both of them would basically be in a mad dash into really who would be the first to announce their league starting first. Uh, for Charlie, he needed to get somebody to help work the ideas out and flesh them out. His father, Dick, gave him two people, John Madden or Bill Polian. And according to ESPN's article on the fall of the AAF that was written by Seth Wickersham and Michael Rothstein, it looks like Bill Polian was that choice simply because Charlie did not want to cold call John Madden. And I don't know about the situation behind that, but you know what? Bill Polian is definitely more of the exec type, so it made more sense. I mean, the guy was a six-time NFL executive of the year. He went and appeared in teams that were in five Super Bowls, won one with the Colts, by the way, over my Chicago Bears, 
and also had experience with the USFL as he was director of player personnel for the Chicago Blitz in 1984. It made a lot of sense, and Bill Polian had been fascinating about something like this apparently for some time. The two would then sit down in Cape Cod in late summer of 2017 in what would be known as the five-hour pancake breakfast, where essentially the two would come up with a ton of ideas for what the league could be. On Charlie's end, Charlie in particular wanted a tech side that would really help fund the league on the back end. Uh, In such, this technology was going to be for gambling. And at the time, gambling, at least legalized, was still on its way up, but people saw on the horizon that it was going to be there. It wasn't at the time like it is today in 2020, where it's almost completely utilized by most states, or at least many states are starting to finally move that direction. But it was being hinted that legalized gambling was starting to move in the correct direction. And Charlie Ebersol was thinking ahead and at least was very ambitious. Bill Polian, on the other hand, really wanted a league that would help develop linemen and quarterbacks. At least he'd been fantasizing about something like this in his time in the NFL, because those two positions in particular are ones that really need grooming the most, if we're being frank, and the ones that really could improve the most with extra given time. In the end, the two made up the most of the fundamentals for the league, and at this point, they just needed to start finding funding and needed to start getting together a base of people that really could build the league up, Uh, which, sure enough, they would eventually do that. But before we get to the point of the announcement, Vince McMahon would beat him to the punch and would announce the XFL, the 2020 version, on July 25th, 2018. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining today's press conference. The new XFL will kick off in 2020, quite frankly, we're going to give the game of football back to fans. And with those words by Vince McMahon, that is what I believe was the first of many dominoes to fall in what would be the great collapse of the Alliance of American Football. For one thing, after that announcement, Charlie and Bill realized that they were behind the eight ball and needed to get this thing rolling if they wanted the Alliance to get ahead of the XFL. At the time, no one was really sure when their ballpark was they were going to start this, but All we know now is that the Alliance would make their announcement on March 20th, and they were going to start in 2019. In February of 2019, some of the most respected minds in the history of the game will come together to form the Alliance of American Football. During that March 20th press conference, a new league would be born, as the Alliance would be released to the public for its first time after one whole year of secrecy. Charlie had a lot of ideas for this league, and in particular, one of the biggest ones would be the gambling tech, where he would define it as in-game fantasy. I'm going to let you listen into what he said. We're going to become the first league in professional sports history that has fully integrated in-game fantasy. Now, what is that? In-game fantasy is play-to-play, integrated fantasy. Who do you like better, Odell Beckham or Josh Norman head-to-head on this play? Is Brady gonna out-throw his opponent? What is the defensive set looking like for you to choose which player you want on your fantasy team at this moment, at this play? And you're gonna be able to do it while you're watching the game because on the Alliance app, we're gonna be streaming games for free, 
another evolution from the modern media experience. So games that aren't on CBS, the games that will be on our app are going to be free and they're going to be fully integrated with fantasy. So you can play while you're watching. All in all, the app was going to be ambitious. It was going to be one of the forefront pieces of the alliance that would push the league into the spotlight and possibly ahead of certain competitors. And it would also help with funding down the road. It was the big goose egg that Charlie Ebersol had in place that he really felt would drive the league into something that no one else had seen before especially considering what he was looking to accomplish. Some of the early projections of what this app was going to be, it was going to be along the lines of basically a 20 questions type of app. If you wanted to bet on a specific play, you could choose on what you wanted to bet on up to that play. One example would be, has mentioned in the ESPN, Seth Wickersham and Michael Rothstein article, would you believe that Mike Tomlin would call a pass play in a nickel formation defense And you could bet on that. It would take historical data and analytics and combine it into one app. Pretty bold, considering that something like this had never been accomplished. And there would be a lot of work needed for something of this scale to take place. It was ambitious. It was an aspiration that Charlie had and something that just really never came together. The end result of the app later on would come to be something of a player tracker with points that you could also watch the games for free on i i remember using the app extensively i thought it was okay i held on to it for a little bit of sentimental value but the problem i always had with the app was stats came too late they made it they tried so hard to make this a fantasy app first without the standard benefit of sports apps in the forefront because the stat functions came way too late when this app came out and by then it was just completely far gone from the conclusion so it was a it was a forgotten thing mgm actually retained the rights of this app later on down the line when the league would cease operation but from that initial press conference that was something that really came up to the forefront funny enough uh justin tuck and jared allen who were either invested in the league or were part of the league's executives would also have some things to say in particular about player relations and how players would be able to get treated more fairly in these leagues under the alliance. Bill Pullian would speak on some football, and Charlie Ebersol would bring up Troy Palomalu up to the stage for a very awkward, quick introduction. The league had a good start, at least in press conference terms, but it still had a long way to go. And one of the biggest downfalls was funding. If one is to fully tell the story of the Alliance of American Football, one has to bring up the funding of the league. The league did have partners that were recognizable behind it, including MGM, the Founders Fund, and the Charing Group, which owns Barstool Sports. But they were not the main pieces of the pie to own the league. The real moneymaker and the one that was bankrolling the league was by the name of Reggie Fowler. Who was Reggie Fowler? Well, Reggie Fowler was an originally a USFL linebacker that played in 1983. He'd later move on from football to begin a company named Spiral Incorporated that owned several hundred businesses across the country and globally from what I have been able to gather. Reggie Fowler also would eventually try to purchase the Minnesota Vikings. However, he would end up keeping a minority share for the Vikings just so he could keep his $20 million deposit on the organization. 
In 2014, the Vikings ownership group that he joined finally ousted him from his spot by buying him out. As it turned out, he actually had some money issues, including the liquidity of his accounts, and would later be criticized and brought into court for several other problems with banks, including U.S. Bank, as Fowler's company would own several million dollars of debt to several banks worldwide. At this time, though, Fowler wasn't completely canned for some of these actions, and when Charlie and his crew of lawyers looked into Reggie Fowler's accounts, they found roughly $800 million of several different accounts to bankroll, and they vetted him pretty well. They thought he would work out. They thought that this guy would be the one to bring the AAF into existence, and also, Fowler gave him a really good deal. Fowler would own 31% of the alliance. In exchange, he would give $50 million of equity and $120 million in a credit line, which at the time seems like a decent chunk of money. You have to remember, though, that Vince McMahon had $500 million that he had invested in the XFL at this time. So, Charlie, looking for funds and desperately needing them, went to Reggie, and that is how the deal was made. Not to mention that Bill Polian at this time which was roughly late summer, early fall, was looking to get some more cash flow in so that he could then improve his aspect of the business, which Bill Polian was mostly focused on the football aspect and making sure the football was crisp and clean on the field. Charlie was the face of the league, also was one to bring in the donors, backers, and anyone in between to fund not only his league, but of course his Silicon Valley dream project of a gambling app. And Reggie was that guy. And Reggie did pay for a little bit going into the fall of 2018. However, come around Christmas time, and this is a story that is crazy to me that was brought up in ESPN's own rep retrospective and insider story that was again made by Seth Wickersham and Michael Rothstein. Reggie Fowler almost made the league miss payroll and miss other events during the Christmas season. It wouldn't be until December 26 that Reggie Fowler would drop a $15 million amount of money towards the league into which they were finally able to pay for training camp visits and to get things underway. However, that funding eventually dried up and eventually we got the big baddie of the Alliance of American Football that everyone at the end of his existence would blame for its downfall. Tom frickin' Dundon. There's so many semi-pro leagues out there or whatever. What is it that attracted to you uh, to the AF, uh, the AF? I don't think there's anybody doing football the way, you know, at this close to the type of quality that it needs to be to really judge players, refs, rules, coaches. So this is, this is the only choice. Even those that are still sour at Dundon realized that Dundon was the savior of the league, especially for the fact that he had doubled the amount promised for funding that Reggie Fowler once had. Speaking of Reggie Fowler, where was Reggie Fowler? Well, Reggie Fowler was having a bunch of his money tied up by the U.S. Justice Department on money laundering scheme as well as a cryptocurrency scheme that he had with an Israeli businessman. Yikes is all you could say to that transaction. So much for vetting such prominent funding that Charlie Ebersol thought he had had. So Tom was the savior. And at the time, people saw this as a massive win for the Alliance of American Football. Unfortunately, however, for Charlie and his father, Dick, they would be removed almost entirely from the league that Charlie had created. You see, when Tom took over the league, he made a deal with Charlie that essentially removed him from the board of directors, along with his father. Tom wanted most of the control. 
So, in a 51% share of the league, Tom voted off Charlie and Dick Ebersol in the writing of the contract. Thus, Tom was the sole entity that could control the alliance and its fate. And once Tom dug himself into the financials of the league, which at that time they were still barely scraping by, and without Tom's assistance, they probably would have not made it to week two, Tom realized that he either had one of many options to consider. Either A, they slashed the budget of the league by over half of what it was spending. The Alliance of American Football was spending roughly $100 million for the season so far on expenditures, and they would, and Tom wanted to slash that in half. Bill Pullian, however, who was still very much involved with the board and was the, the president of the league at the time, refused. Didn't like Tom Dunnan, of course, for many of the cuts he had, but Tom looked at the league and saw it at a loss. Tom also had different visions for the Alliance of American Football. For one thing, unlike Charlie and Bill, Charlie and Bill wanted to make the league grow in a three-year plan. Tom Dunnan, on the other hand, saw it as, we either have to get the NFL involved in year one, or this league is not viable. And sure enough, that is the plan he took. He slashed prices left and right. Many departments claimed that essential people that were once on flights were being kept at home simply because they didn't want to pay for them. Some meals on, pl on flights were even not being paid. Some hotel expenditures were not being paid correctly. Tom Dunnan was trying to slash as many prices as possible to see if his investment would work and if he could make it work any way possible. There were two meetings that Tom, Charlie, and Bill had to try and save the league or at least make it a viable futuristic option. One such visit was with CBS Sports in general. At the time, the Alliance of American Football was doing what is called a time buy. Essentially, what a time buy is, is you are the company or the corporation that wants to get a slot on a channel. Essentially, the Alliance was buying their way onto CBS Sports and other channels. Tom, on the other hand, wanted CBS to help share the costs, much like how the XFL has ABC and ESPN sharing their broadcast costs. That was no such thing, as CBS refused, saying it would take, quote-unquote, several years for that to happen. Tom was not patient. He didn't want several years. He wanted now. He didn't want to keep spending his money. Yes, Tom had pledged $250 million of his own cash, but the caveat to this was he would pay on a week-by-week -week basis. He was not ready to be paying for all of this in one lump sum. He wasn't completely sure of his investment. Thus, this is one of the routes he took was to try and see if he could save some cash on the broadcast end. That did not work out. The other option, and the Hail Mary of them all, was finding a way to get the NFLPA, of all people, to cooperate and find a way for this to work. Essentially, having to rewrite the NFL CBA, of all things, a document that is hard enough to make on its own after the deals have come up and need to be reset, but finding a way to completely rewrite sections of the CBA mid CBA. It was a Hail Mary, and NFL officials wanted none of it. For one thing, and I don't agree with this part about the NFL whatsoever, and those that disagree with me, I would love to have a debate with you someday. The NFL, according to people, doesn't need a minor league. I disagree entirely, because people say it's college football. It's not, but we'll talk about that some other time. Meanwhile, the NFL didn't want to risk injury, which this is something I felt was mainly the reason why this didn't work is because NFL teams were considering a chance for if this was signed, they could dump off 
lower tier players to the Alliance, forcing them to play so that their roster spot would be kept. And if they were injured in the Alliance, that would cause risk for careers and potential for staying on NFL rosters. The NFLPA, which is supposed to be in the best interest of the players, wanted none of this. And it makes sense. The CBA was already signed. The CBA would never take a drastic change during mid-deal. So, without further ado, Tom was running out of options, and essentially had run out of options. And in a PR stunt that Tom Dundon had made to multiple media assets, he said, quote, We may have to suspend the league or close it entirely. No one thought it was a serious threat at the time. Many thought that they were going to finish the league season. Now, at this point, before I get to the final collapse... The Alliance of American Football had many excellent games under its belt already. Week 1 saw fantastic contests on its own, at least when it came to viral hits like the one you heard earlier, or just seeing new teams with talent rise up. And there, of course, were many other contests that I felt left a mark and that were good football games in general. Let me give you at least one or two highlights from some of these games. If there was one player or coach that brought a lot of spunk to the league, it was Steve Spurrier. Spurrier was the most enjoyable person to listen on the mics when he was mic'd up on the field. He also get his own camera midway through the season because of how well he would deliver lines and how people just loved listening to his football terminology and how he related to his players. One thing he also did for the Alliance was brought innovative and creative ways to score for the Orlando Apollos. And one such inspiration actually came from Super Bowl 52. And it's a handoff to Akeem Hunt, a reverse Marshall, throwing it back, and it's caught for the touchdown! The Orlando special! The Philly special, but it's the winter. What do Philadelphia people do in the winter? They go to Florida, right? It was that type of ingenuity on offense that would give Steve Spurrier's team the best record at the end of the Alliance season. And... It is what won them eventually a ring from the Alliance as they would be crowned the one-time champion of the AAF. Steve Spurrier to this day actually considers that championship just as important as any other championship he has received as a head coach of any football team. Also, the Orlando Apollos were in many of these great moments for the Alliance, including a barn burner in Week 2 against the San Antonio Commanders in San Antonio, which I consider as my favorite game in Alliance history. It was in front of a massive crowd. San Antonio would regularly hit the twenty to 30,000 mark, and they were one of the places that after the league folded, and I still believe this, they deserve another team, even with... The XFL having Dallas and Houston having teams, San Antonio with the Alamo Dome and its 64,000 capacity could easily get an XFL team in there and they could pack the house. But this week two game had one hell of a finish, including a Keith Reeser interception. Side, coming away, it's intercepted! Intercepted! And take it back for the touchdown! Keith Reeser, the pick six! That pick six by Keith Reeser, who would end up to go to the Kansas City Chiefs for the 2020 season, being on IR, however, that would determine a 37-29 contest in week two. That was a barn burner, and one of the scores that really put the AAF also on the map beyond week one. And that was also in front of a 29,000 attendance crowd at the Alamo Dome for the second week of the Alliance season. The week prior, the Alamo Dome witnessed a 15-6 win. That was when Berkovici's helmet was destroyed off of his head. 
and that was in front of 27,000. Well, one of the most memorable moments in the league's history, and one that I have to say is a reason that proves that San Antonio wants its football team to stay whenever they get that chance, was a pick six that San Antonio would have on its own in front of a record attendance against Salt Lake of 30,345. Woodrum to the end zone, picked off! There's a lot of room! Oh my goodness, talk about a game-changing play! He could go the distance! It is Devontae Bosby with his fifth interception of the season. From clips like these, San Antonio would easily deserve an XFL franchise if they were ever given one. The San Antonio Commanders were definitely the most popular team in the Alliance of American Football besides the Orlando Apollos. They were the team that I felt their fans really wanted this to work. They've seen so much failure in years past other leagues, including the USFL, funny enough, and they just didn't get that chance. It was really the biggest tragedy, in my opinion, of the entire Alliance schedule was losing to see games with San Antonio as well as losing out on the eventual what would have been a championship game where we would have seen the Orlando Apollos take on whoever the hell else was going to show up. But there are plenty of other moments in this league too. Funny enough, one I'm going to bring up for many of my XFL Battlehawks fans is LaDamian Washington doing well. LaDamian Washington thinks. Seven carries for 20 yards so far. Another passing as he throws. This one is complete, middle of the field. And now outside the numbers on the right side. It's LaDamian Washington still on his horse. 25, 20, he's going to go to the house. Another touchdown pass. And you know who threw that touchdown pass? That was Luis Perez, who turned out to be the ideal quarterback for the XFL's New York Guardians. A lot of Alliance talent either showed up in the NFL or transferred over to the XFL, which is why a lot of us who are former Alliance fans like the league so much, because there's already many recognizable names. In essence, the XFL would be the living embodiment and the continuation of what the Alliance started. Lastly, I have to bring up one last highlight that really embodies a legacy of a XFL player that got his chance in the Alliance and, well, got his starting spot in Seattle. That was Brandon Silvers. Brandon Silvers was almost forgotten about on this roster. Remember, the AAF's Memphis Express had Christian Hackenberg starting week one, and eventually they would sign on Johnny Manziel. The Memphis Express also had Mike Singletary as their head coach, and they were definitely a basement dweller in the league. But their shining moment in the league's existence came with Brandon Silvers on the field. You see, at the time, Silvers and company were taking on the Birmingham Iron, arguably the second best team in the alliance at that time. They had Luis Perez at quarterback. They also had Trent Richardson and LaDamian Washington on that squad. Well, somehow, in some way, they pulled off an unprecedented win against the second best team in the league. And they did it with the only overtime game in AAF history. Looking left now, throwing, caught, into the end zone, it's good! The Express win in overtime! Silvers to Williams! And yes, you did hear the announcer right. Johnny Manziel, of all people, who was in the Alliance of American Football for a very short period of time, gave a chest bump to Brandon Silvers after that miraculous overtime win. It was one of, like I said, many memorable moments in the Alliance. I wish I could cover them all, but the podcast has to continue, and I wish I didn't have to say what happened next. 
And that would have been the end of week eight on April 2nd, 2019. As I mentioned earlier, the Alliance's savior would be Tom Dundon, but it also would be its downfall. Dundon did take over the league, was supposed to fund $250 million of the league that would help it get through the season and more, and also was expecting to be paying on a week-by-week basis rather than paying the full sum of $250 million. Nonetheless, he was testing the league, and everything he tried did not work. He was not able to get the CBS Broadcasting Company to give him money for broadcasts. He was not able to get the NFL Players Association to change the CBA to have players from the NFL come to the Alliance. All in all, he had stressed all his options, and by April 2nd of 2019, he was ready to pull the plug. Charlie Ebersol, on the other hand, tried his best, his hardest, to keep the league afloat, but it was no chance for Tom Dundon to do so. Tom was done paying for the amount of $70 million that he had already invested in the league at this point, and he didn't want to spend another penny on an organization he felt was horribly run and did not know how to use its expenses to its fullest extent. All in all, the AAF was closing shop on April 2nd, 2019, and it was one of the worst closings we have seen in any professional sports organization in the history of sports. The Alliance of American Football left players out to dry. Players had to find flights home. Players didn't have health insurance covered after the league folded. Players didn't even know where they were going to live because of being thrown out on the streets since their hotel payments weren't being paid and hotels were throwing their luggage into the lobby. Players panicked, players were confused, and players were enraged at the league and how it handled itself. Charlie Ebersol would be taking damage control the entire day of April 2nd, and according to ESPN, he wouldn't be done taking calls until 2.30 a.m. the next morning, as he didn't know what in the world just happened to his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Bill Polian stated that Tom pulled the plug too early. He felt that he was disappointed in Tom for his decision for closing up shop. And honestly, as a fan, Tom Dundon, as much as I understand why he did it, I don't understand the method of why he did it. Why were people not given warning? Why were people left on the street? Why were people left having to find their way home? It's one of the biggest questions the Alliance left its players and its fans. Why did it have to end this way? To make matters worse, the Alliance didn't even release a statement for four days. It took until April 6th to where they left a statement for players that didn't even come off. I would admit, as genuine. The statement read as follows on April 6th. This week, we made the difficult decision to suspend all football operations for the Alliance of American Football. We understand the difficulty that this decision has caused for many people, and for that we are very sorry. This is not the way we wanted it to end. We are also committed to working on solutions for all outstanding issues to the best of our ability. Due to the ongoing legal processes, we are unable to comment further or share details about the decision. And at the time of the league being suspended, remember, it only played eight weeks of its ten, and it was still meant to play two more weeks of playoffs and a championship game to end the season. But again, that was the least of the worries at this point. Players were still not getting paid. Players still had other issues to solve. And from as recently as yesterday for me, some players never even got their taxes returned or tax files for that time during the season, as the Alliance had switched to a third-party payment system 
midway through March and pretty much through April, so there was nothing that they could do. The Alliance was a mess at its end, but I also have to remember it for its glory times. Remember, this was, and I will say honestly was, the best chance at a spring league up until the XFL came into existence. It had the football, it had the talent, it had the coaching, it had the moments that make a football league fun to watch. It's just that Charlie Ebersole and Bill Polian didn't know what the hell they were doing with the money. And Charlie didn't realize how much money it would take. Because if he realized how much money it would take, and if he realized that he had the time, if he had just had the time and the money, this league might still be around today. Other factors, of course, include the XFL, which I have mentioned in this episode, and I still will contend, the XFL is the biggest factor as to why the alliance failed. The XFL, when Vince McMahon announced in January, basically accelerated Charlie Ebersol's plans of launching the league. Charlie was so obsessed with getting ahead of the XFL that he forgot to get the essentials that actually build a league in the first place. And since he did not have the time to try and start this league in 2020, he rushed to 2019. And when the funding fell through, everything fell through. Will the Alliance be around today? I don't know. The XFL has had a heck of a start, but the question would have been, would it have survived COVID-19? And that's something that no one would have predicted. And at this point, in this conversation, in this podcast of a retrospective, I say no. Because again, you have to remember how much funding Charlie had at the point. I'm not sure how much more he would have gotten if the season would have ended correctly, or if it would have gotten a championship game, but Tom Dundon was in control. And the only way that Charlie might have had a better chance at this is if Charlie would have still had control of the league at the end of its season, and if he would have gotten funding via the offseason to then reset for 2020. Otherwise, I don't think the league would have made it through 2020, and I think it would have been the one to fold with the XFL still hanging on and going for 2021. The Alliance of American Football would be remembered for many things, a failed financial plan, many star talents, and one heck of a story that, in my opinion, would make an amazing blockbuster movie someday. God bless you, Alliance of American Football. We miss you, and carry on, Wayland Son. That's going to do it for this edition of Football for All and our first episode of the Avenge the Fallen series. Thank you all very much for tuning in. It was a blast making this episode and reminiscing on a football league that, again, really got me into spring football. I believe in the concept of spring football thanks to the Alliance of American Football. And it brought many ideas to football itself that I think really could become part of the NFL someday. If you are curious as to what happened behind the scenes on things that maybe I didn't go farther into detail on or that I needed to expand upon, feel free to check out some of the articles I used. There were three in particular that I really dug into as inspiration for telling of this story. Uh, One from ESPN, one from... SI, Sports Illustrated, and one from Vox.com. ESPN's is inside the short, unhappy life of the Alliance of American Football. I referenced that a few times in the episode you might have heard, and that was made by Seth Wickersham and Michael Rothstein, who Michael Rothstein have had on our college radio show with me and my partner at the time, Yash Padi, and he's a great person to talk to. I recommend this article highly. It has, in my opinion, the most insider 
data and talk about the league and its fall in particular. I also recommend highly the curious rise and spectacular crash of the Alliance of American Football. That is the SI essay written article about the Alliance and what happened behind the scenes as well. Again, a different view of behind the scenes. They had many other people that were associated with the league on there, and it really does highlight how disorganized the league was midway through its beginning all the way until its end. I highly recommend those. And then Vox.com had its own article too, one that related to more of a Silicon Valley perspective on taking on the NFL. Remember, the Alliance was considered a Silicon Valley style of startup with a football league skin on it. So you really should check that one out too to see what Vox.com's writers had to say about the league and its downfall fighting the NFL or at least getting into the market that the NFL had. If you're curious about following me, by the way, I recommend you follow me on many platforms. I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in particular. All those you can find me at at ZK Podcast. That is Z-K-P-O-D-C-A-S-T when you're looking on social media. I also do upload these episodes to YouTube. I am trying to get better at putting them on YouTube. I just forget about it half the time, but they will be up there in case you want maybe a non-podcast view of these episodes. Speaking of the podcast, make sure when you go on and you are finishing up this podcast, hit the subscribe button. I will release these episodes generally on Thursdays. This one was a little later just because there was so much to put in and I'm not used to making episodes like this that have so much content in between when it comes to sound bites as well as my own scripting. So please hit the subscribe button. You'll get episodes when they come on and you can get to those ASAP. Again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I had a blast doing this and I can't wait for your next episode to come out on Avenge the Fallen. It's going to be a pretty good one. There's plenty of great football leagues out there and I think the next one's going to be a great story and a unique story in its own right. Until then, stay safe, everyone, and stay tuned.